I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fit the Mission. California is reeling from two mass shootings in the past two days. In the Bay Area, a mass fatality event in Half Moon Bay on Monday, which came on the heels of another fatal event at a Lunar New Year celebration in the L.A. suburb of Monterey Park. Our team is working on an episode related to the tragedies. You can follow the Chronicle's coverage at sfchronicle.com and on the app. Oakland Unified School District has been divided over one key issue, whether to close schools to save money. The district has seen declining enrollment numbers for years, but it also has more schools per student and the third most teachers per student in the state. In other words, Oakland Unified is spending a lot of money to keep schools afloat. Last year, the school board voted to close or merge 11 schools across the district. That decision wasn't made without a big fight. Families in the teachers' union protested, saying the closures disproportionately targeted black and brown students. City leaders weighed in, including former city council member and now mayor, Sheng Tao. Are we going to stand by that? There was a school occupation and even a hunger strike that led to a temporary hospitalization of one teacher. Last year, Fifth Emission spoke to that teacher, Moses Omolade, about why he was taking that drastic measure. What do you think is more dramatic? Someone choosing to not eat until things are just? Or someone saying, I'm going to close 15 schools of predominantly black and brown children without talking to them about it? The decision to close the schools moved forward. That is, until earlier this month. The newly formed Oakland School Board abruptly reversed the decision, allowing five elementary schools that were slated for closure this year to remain open. New school board president Mike Hutchinson told KPIX that the district is well-positioned to do that. The last thing I will ever do is bankrupt the school district that I love. And our financial health is sound. And so this is why we are able to move forward in these sorts of ways. But a recent staff analysis shows that the last-minute reversal will have dire financial and academic consequences. Today on Fifth Emission, Chronicle Education reporter Jill Tucker joins me to talk about what those consequences are. She'll discuss the crossroads that OUSD is in at the moment. The Oakland school closures have been an emotional and heated fight Where does it go from here? And how has the board's new leadership changed the tone of the debate? Jill Tucker, great to have you on. Thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure. So, Jill, when the Oakland Unified School District voted to close and merge several schools last year, district officials acknowledged that that was an emotional and difficult decision to make, but said it was necessary for fiscal reasons. But then that decision was reversed earlier this month. How come? They reversed the decision to to close five of the schools that were slated for closure at the end of this year, and um, they also kept the middle school grades at a K-8 school. They were going to lose those grades. This has been uh, such a hotly debated topic um, with people on both sides feeling really strongly about what needs to happen in the future for these schools. And really, uh, what happened in this case was the election. And we got a new majority on the school board of people who were opposed to the school closures. Uh, they called a special meeting and they they uh, reversed the decision um, very late in the process, very last minute. And as of right now, those schools will uh, be open next year. And 
What has the community reaction been to that reversal? Like you said, there's a lot of strong feelings on either side of the issue, but what have Oakland residents thought? I think to a certain degree, you have those that really were opposed to this. Uh, There were hunger strikes, there were protests, there were student protests, parents, teachers. And then, you know, on the other side, you had sort of more of a quiet group that, you know, really understood the impact of having under-enrolled schools on the district. And there's definitely a, a lot of celebrating on the side of those who didn't want the schools to close, including the two teachers that were on an 18-day hunger strike last year. And and then you just have an awful lot of people in, in the city, I think, that are just trying to figure out what's going on. You know, some people feel very passionate about this, and some people just want their kids to go to school and learn to read and have calm leadership. And, you know, so there's sort of both sides and then everybody in between. You mentioned that this vote happened kind of quickly. Were there any steps missing before this vote took place? Yes. At their first meeting um, with new leadership and the new uh, the new board members, they called a special meeting, which only requires 24 hours notice. And they basically embedded this special meeting in a regular meeting and uh, voted on the school closures. But board policy requires the school board to look at a fiscal analysis before they take a vote on such items like this that have a a massive um, impact on the district's budget. This is a policy that all the board members adopt and accept um, on the board, but they decided to skip that process and take the vote. They're now going to look at the fiscal impact and analysis of that decision two weeks after the fact. Mm. This week on Wednesday, they will um, hear that fiscal analysis, but it will only be an information item. There will be no opportunity to take any type of action based on that information. This is a district, though, that is still under state receivership for a state takeover uh, when they ran out of money in 2002. You know, there are concerns about the district's ability in the 20 years since then to handle their finances. They've had a lot of fiscal crises, a lot of shortfalls, a lot of overspending. So skipping that step actually has been something of a concern for state officials. Then what exactly is the financial outlook of the district? Because there are some issues, but the new board president, as you mentioned, Mike Hutchinson, he said finances have stabilized. But just last year, you reported that the district needed to cut $110 million to stay afloat. What exactly is going on? It depends on how you count the money and and how far you want to look into the future. Um, The reality is, uh, President Hutchinson is right. Right now, the district has a balanced budget. They plan on having a balanced budget next year. We're still waiting to see how much schools will get from the state next year. The state fiscal outlook is not as good as it has been in the previous years. Um, but the other issue, too, is is that there's a lot of one-time money, especially from uh, pandemic recovery, that's going to run out. And a lot of districts across the state are still using that one-time money to kind of pay the bills. And eventually, that, when that money runs out, then you have to pay the bills with your just regular income. So that's an issue for Oakland and a lot of schools. But also, in the case of Oakland and many other districts, they're still losing enrollment, every student that they lose um, is money from the state. And so uh, districts with declining enrollment have to look to the future to try to figure out how they're going to pay their bills with less money 
coming in from the state because let's say 100 students leave the district each year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but you your costs don't go down by that amount of money. You still have to pay the light bills. You still have to pay teachers because those students are spread across the entire district. So eventually those numbers start to add up. You know, if you lose 100, 300 students a year or more, all of a sudden in 10 years, you now have lost 3,000 students. Now what do you do? That adds up in terms of the bottom line of your budget, and you're going to have to figure out how you're going to cut. And uh, cutting is hard. Now, those five schools that were slated to be cut, tell me more about them. How did they get chosen to be the ones that would close? The district has been trying to right-size, quote-unquote, for a long time. They've been losing students for years and years, some going to charter schools, some families just leaving. They have... um, Right now, 77 school sites, which is about twice as many as other districts with the same enrollment. And and they started looking at the schools that were really under-enrolled, that maybe only had one kindergarten class, and even then maybe not a full one, looking at the resources, looking at the facilities needs of where those schools are. So for example, if a school that's under-enrolled needs a lot of facilities upgrades, maybe that's a school to choose, right? Because if you close it, you don't have to then fix all of the facilities. They looked at the geography where other nearby schools were, you know, so that the students could move to nearby schools. So they took a lot of things into consideration when choosing these five schools, and and they came up with this, this list. Um, it, it was a list that was unpopular with a lot of folks because um, – The schools are predominantly students of color, low income. You know, we're talking schools that are have fewer than 200 students, where you might have only one class for every grade level, if that. Sometimes you'll just have one class that has two grades in it. Um, So they looked at those types of things and selected these schools. More with Jill Tucker after a quick break. New Oakland Unified School District President Mike Hutchinson made stopping the school closures his first priority. What does his new leadership mean for the board? We'll be right back. You can support Fifth Emission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Jill Tucker, at the moment, these five elementary schools in Oakland will remain open. You mentioned before the break that a fiscal analysis should have been reviewed before they reversed the school closures decision. Tell me more about that analysis. What are the impacts of keeping those schools open? So the report shows that the basic cost of staffing, just the people, to keep the schools open is at least 5.1 or so million a year. Now that doesn't sound like a lot in a district with a budget of $700 million, but then that doesn't include the cost to maintain the facilities and the facilities needs, if they're going to keep these schools open for the long haul, the facilities needs are in like the 87 million and uh, they don't have that budgeted. They don't have a funding mechanism for that right now. But the, there's also a, a far-reaching impact. It's sort of like you know a dominoes effect where closing these schools would likely have then increased enrollment at other schools in the district. And so having these 700 and something students flow into other schools, 
then makes those schools more financially viable. They can have more programming. They can have, you know, things like maybe Spanish or music or more types of extracurricular because you have that greater number of students to help overall fund more services. The welcoming schools where a lot of these students were expected to go, we're going to get an infusion of cash to add more resources to, you know, work with these kids. Now that's all going away. The district is still losing enrollment. It just means we're going to have more schools with fewer students. And Jill, some people say that keeping schools open that have these small classroom sizes like you're describing could be in the long run really impactful and harmful to kids. Tell me why. You know, I think it goes back to that point that when you have a school that is so small, but you don't really have the resources to provide them the services that they need, small isn't necessarily better. If you only have one teacher per grade, for example, one of the school board members raised the point, well, that teacher doesn't have anyone to bounce ideas off of. They're just alone, one kindergarten teacher, one first grade teacher. And so really to make small class sizes and small schools work, you need to have the resources to provide the services and the attention and the and all of that to make it work for the kids. But a lot of those kids in the small schools have less than their counterparts elsewhere because you just can't afford to put that in a small school. You spoke to an expert who works with California school districts on financial stability. And what did that expert share with you in terms of critique about this decision to keep the schools open? State fiscal experts basically said, that's why we elect school boards, right? They get to decide and make these types of decisions about how they want to move forward. They have the freedom to do that. They just have to be able to pay for it. So I think the concern was when they're looking at a district that is still under state receivership, what they want to see from the district is stability. They want to see um, procedure. They want to see policies followed. They want to see smart budgeting. And, and so the experts said, look, if they want to keep the schools open, they can make that decision. And, and, and there's no problem with that. The problem is not doing the fiscal analysis in advance, understanding all the costs associated with this, and planning for what those costs are. And and because the, the school board skipped that step, that's where the concerns were raised, whether that was a red flag that symbolizes a district that isn't committed to those types of practices. Well, this brings us to my next question, which is just about the new leadership of the board. And specifically, I want to talk about new board president Mike Hutchinson. He's been very, very vocal about being against school closures in the past. He called it his number one issue. He's been kind of this controversial figure uh, in the Oakland School District. What is his leadership? How does it sort of change the tone of the board? In the last couple of years with a new superintendent and Um, The board kind of really trying to be mindful in terms of its budget. There was a little bit more, at least, um, calm and maybe a little less chaos. And to sort of have President Hutchinson um, come back and and the first thing he does in office as president is, is reverse that vote, sort of throwing the district again into chaos and 
with a lot of questions about finances, you know, what's going to happen in the enrollment process, they have to have a do-over for all these families. It throws a lot more divisiveness into the equation that I think a lot of people were hoping the district had gotten past. Um, And I don't think that that's necessarily going to apply to a lot of other issues per se, but certainly... um, the district was still looking at additional closures or mergers in the future to continue right-sizing. And, you know, that is appears to be off the table, at least right now, under this leadership. So then what happens now, Jill? What are the potential outcomes after the district meets on Wednesday? So they're going to have a discussion on Wednesday about uh, the fiscal analysis and what the impact is. They can't make any decisions. But There is a little wrench in this thing because the district is still under state receivership, which means there is a fiscal trustee appointed to oversee the district, a person who has the the ability to veto decisions like this if uh, they think it is not in the direction of fiscal health for the district. So the district has to turn in the new plan to keep the schools open to the fiscal trustee by Wednesday, and then it will be up to her to decide um, whether she's going to reverse that decision again. We're still we're still in wait and see mode, so it could be more um, another reversal on this. We'll see. Has President Hutchinson indicated what he would do if the decision's vetoed? He said he would fight it. I don't know what that means um, because the trustee has uh, that authority. He did vow to uh, fight this. He is, as you said, this is his number one issue. And I think that he will do everything he can to prevent these schools from closing. The ongoing saga of Oakland school closures. Jill, thank (laughs) you so much for giving us the latest. I appreciate it. Yep, my pleasure. Stay tuned. Jill Tucker covers education for The Chronicle. Find her reporting on the Oakland school closures and other stories at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. Thanks to Francesca Fenzi for editing this episode and to King Kaufman for the production help and to you for listening. <laughs>